It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. The mechanics of voting really hasn't changed since the dawn of democracy. People line up, mark a ballot for their candidate, and then leave. But in today's pandemic, the lines for the Wisconsin primary illustrated the legitimate dangers of having thousands of people line up with one another to vote. This morning, people in Wisconsin have a tough choice to make. Protect their health by following the state's stay-at-home order or exercise their right to vote. That's because after a day of chaos and confusion, Wisconsin primary is actually back on today. Take a look at how long the lines already are in Milwaukee of voters waiting to cast their ballots. Likewise, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo delayed his state's primaries from April to June for the same reason. All of this forces us to ask the question, in an age where everything is done online, why aren't we voting from our phones this November? Of course, that brings in a ton of cybersecurity questions. So this week, we have motherboard reporter Lorenzo Franceschi Bicirai on to discuss what that might actually look like. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So Lorenzo, obviously we're in the midst of a modern plague and some of the things that have come out of it are, you know, what are we going to do come November 2020 when the entire country needs to vote for a president? And obviously we've seen, you know, this Wisconsin lineup. This is just, this is untenable in a situation where we need social distancing and we need to stay away from each other because we're spreading this, you know, biblical disease at epic rates. So, you know, it brings us to the question, why aren't we voting online? Like, can, can, can we pull off an internet e-vote in 2020? Yeah, that is a good question that a lot of people are asking right now. I even had a casual conversations with, with friends the other day about this. So it's, it's definitely on everybody's minds. And unfortunately, the short answer is no, we cannot. Um, and, the sh- and the short answer as to why we cannot is that we're, as a you know, in terms of cybersecurity, we're just not there. Uh, voting online presents a lot of issues that many things that we do online do not have uh, or have in two different degrees. Um, so it's just very complicated to make a system that guarantees anonymity because, you know, you want votes to be um, secret, but you also want to be able to make sure that you're not counting votes twice. You also want to make sure that uh, people cannot vote in your stead. And that's just very hard to do right now on the internet. I mean, like, ideally this happens because clearly we need to be remotely away from each other. But it, it kind of brings it brings the question to mind, you know, if I can do my banking online and I can do it securely, I mean, I know a lot of people do get hacked, but the grand majority of people don't get their money hacked and a knock on some wood. Why can't we do, I mean, what's the difference for doing this with a vote, with a single vote? Well, I think in, in the US especially, the, the issue is how do you make sure that there's no voter fraud in the sense of like, how do you make sure that this person doesn't vote twice? And how do you make sure that uh, you verify the identity of the voter and the voter is not, is, is voting in the right place? And, um, you know, there's no national ID in the US. Uh, every state does it a little different. 
Um, so it's it's just going to be very hard in six months, right? We're in April. The elections are in November. It's just going to be very hard in, in six months to set up a system like that. Like in, in their Internet voting in the U.S. right now is basically non-existent. There's some little pilots here and there. Um, there have been proposals, but, you know, in practice, it, it has not been done. In fact, uh, cybersecurity experts, uh, you know, keep repeating as a mantra that we should just not do it. It's just too risky right now. Uh, we should keep uh, voting machines and votes as far from the Internet as possible. So realistically, going you know, in six months going from that position to, oh yeah, sure, we can just download an app on the phone and, you know, on our phones and do it. It's just going to be very hard. And, um, and you know, we've seen examples of why this is hard in um, already this year, right? Uh, Iowa, in their caucus, uh, in January, they uh, debuted an app that was only supposed to be used to count votes. So this is not even to vote, right? The app had a very limited scope. It was only designed to not even count the votes, actually transmit the vote tally uh, to like a central server so that like the tally was going to, in theory, was going to be faster, uh, streamlined, smoother. So that and it was, and it was a fucking disaster. And it was a fucking mess. Yeah. Like there's no other way to describe it. It was a, a shit show, essentially. The Iowa caucus was held yesterday and chaos ensued, keeping the results a mystery until about 5 p.m. today, largely due to the use of a malfunctioning app developed to make the process easier, which brings us to a segment we call, Hey! Hey! Iowa! How did you beef this? You had four years to get ready, and this was the result? This is worse than the husband who comes home on Valentine's Day with a flower from the neighbor's yard, a bag of Skittles, and a card that says, sorry for your loss. Instead of the votes being counted, more quickly, it was the complete opposite. You know, for days, no one knew what happened. Uh, votes got lost or like no one, yeah, it was a mess. Um, and our colleagues at Motherboard did a great job reporting on that. And and the reason why that was a mess is because the app that they used was sort of put together at the, at the last minute. Um, you know, the company that made it was a small company with uh, relatively little experience developing apps. Um, they didn't really think about the fact that a lot of people would have uh, older phones that would cause, uh, you know, comp compatibility issues, uh, bugs and stuff like that. Like all these things, you cannot fuck it up in an election, right? Like even banking, like banking is a good example because, yeah, sure, you know, like not everyone gets hacked. And actually the, major the vast majority of people do not lose money um, because of banking ha uh, hacks. But in, in an election, you cannot afford one person to get screwed over. You know, like every vote needs to be counted and needs to be counted correctly. If even only one vote does not, you know, goes to hell for some, you know, stupid bug that the developer forgot to patch, people will like, you know, ask for a do-over. Like um, there will be like accusations of uh, corruption and uh, fraud and like it's just, it just, that's just not doable. It's just not tolerable. Um, and and another good example of this is uh, this app called Votes, spelled V-O-A-T-Z, which is a startup that um, has gotten some traction and some and considerable funding. And uh, 
has actually been used in real elections, mostly local elections, and and mostly only to uh, count votes uh, from people like uh, military members that are abroad and uh, people with disabilities that cannot go to the polls. And uh, last month, uh, a cybersecurity startup did a comprehensive uh, pen test and audit of the app, and they found that it was you know riddled with with bugs. Uh, I think there were like 16 high severity issues. Essentially, like the, the report was like 140 pages long and it was essentially like a very long way of saying we should not be doing this right now. We should not be using this this app. And that's the thing is we also have, you know, there's a, there's a modern example of a country that does this. You know, Estonia is a country that does e-votes and they have, you know, for, since 2007, they've allowed this as a, as a way of voting. And obviously, you know, they've got 1.3, 1.5 million people. Tonight, we take a look at a nation that has put nearly all of its government services online. Tiny Estonia, a member of both the European Union and NATO, is making a name for itself as a world leader in digital technology, education, and cybersecurity. And they do have something that's you know akin to a, a national ID card or a voting ID card, which is something that I know in the U.S. Is, has, has experienced so much pushback because it does, in fact, statistically and very clearly disproportionately affect the impoverished and people of color from accessing the voting system and, and actually putting their votes into, into, into action. So, you know, there's so many different things facing it. And yet I can't help but say to myself, you know, we're in the midst of a plague, like things are not going to change by November. I mean, things will, I am assuming things will be better than they were by November, but also, you know, it's not going to be back to normal like it was four months ago either. So we need to find a. We, there needs to be a solution. Yeah, there needs to be a solution. And I think the solution may already be here in the sense that like, instead of trying to, you know, figure out a problem that, you know, even veteran cybersecurity researchers that have dedicated their entire life to studying uh, election security say that right now in this moment is not possible, uh, and, and I think it's important to stress this. Like, um, you know, we're what we're what we're saying is not that it's impossible forever. There will be a moment in time in the near future, probably, where we can figure out a way to do this. We can figure out a way to have an app that's, um, you know, simple and very hard to hack and verifies identities in some ways. Um, you know, I'm not. I don't want to say that like we'll never vote online. And as you said, like there are countries that do it. Um, it is possible in theory, but in practice, right now, it's just not. So maybe in the next six months, what we should do is try to figure out a way to still have like some sort of a you know in-person voting, like um, like Wisconsin did recently, right? Like Wisconsin is a, is a good example. Like they kept their primary last week or two weeks ago, and they still allow people to go to vote. So maybe there's a way to do that. And uh, at the same time, you really need to uh, boost uh, mail voting, like, you know, traditional mail voting, um, which is a step in between, like online voting and and uh, old fashioned uh, going to the polls voting. I agree. And the other thing, too, is like, obviously, you and I have, have reported on intelligence agencies before and, and know what they're up to and know what their their game plans are. And you know, frankly, like if I'm if I'm Russia or China or even the NSA to some extent, if like an enemy nation state is using online voting, you're likely or all evidence and all my experiences with these types of 
organizations would point to them fucking with it and playing with those those votes and trying to, you know, cause an effect that's that's more favorable to whatever the country's interest is. So that alone, I think, sort of definitely puts a puts a bit of a a stick in the spokes of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that is the yeah, like we, we don't even need to take out like, a, you know, our prediction machine for that. Like we know that these countries will do something to influence the vote, to screw up with the vote, to interfere. Like it's happened in 2016. Uh, you know, the Russians obviously put up an incredible machine of uh, propaganda and disinformation for the 2016 elections. But we also know now that they, they did look into hacking voting machines and, you know, uh, voting count systems. Uh, so so that, that's that's what we need to worry about. Like, can we make, can we build a system that prevents the Russians or the Iranians or the Chinese uh, from screwing with that? And right now we, we cannot. So because, because ultimately, if you do an election online, you're opening it up to all kinds of interference, right? Anyone with a computer and an internet connection will be able to interfere with that. Whereas, obviously, an election where you have to vote in person, fraud is much, dif- much, much, much different. It looks different. It's much harder to do. It just doesn't scale up as much. And same with with mail, with mail voting. If you only, if if you only send one ba- ballot per person, um, it's just much harder to do fraud in that case as well. I agree. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you for having. It's it's your two for two, second week in a row on cyber. Hell yeah. Let's go. Let's see. I might do that hat trick next week. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Stay safe. Thanks for having me. You too. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. How is so? How are you liking this week? Are you are you now getting tired of this? Ben, all the weeks are the exact goddamn same. <laughs> this is week <laughs> week six. It's time to go. I hate it. I fucking hate it. I, I've hit a wall. Uh, but yeah, we're still doing it. We're still here. <laughs> I, I don't know how the how the listeners are feeling, but I'm feeling pretty crazy over here. <laughs> It was funny. I had a moment of uh, a pure and utter mania yesterday because this is the first week where it's like I'm not sad, I'm not angry, I'm you know I'm not even like even or vacillating between those two two emotions. I like I, I was like I think I'm really bored and really now I'm starting to feel like I'm going actually crazy and I started to laugh really like loudly on my own and I realized 
Yeah, I probably am. Ben, I made a song yesterday on GarageBand on my phone because it's an app I've never used. So I started just like playing around with it. Uh, it's not a good song. It's not a good song, but <laughs> I. Uh, wow. Okay. So can, you're at, that's can, the, we play, can we play it on the pod? Yeah, play right now. Go. It's so bad. <laughs> I've yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the uh, regular program cipher. So <laughs> this is a uh, this is something that we're tracking, and I think it's something we've done an excellent job. I think at Motherboard taking a look at how coronavirus is going to affect the surveillance state, and I think we're going to have a, a future episode of Cyber on it entirely. But Joseph Cox, another great one from him showing how Google is planning to use a tracing feature on Android on Android phones to track coronavirus and people that have had it. Yeah, so like you said, we've talked about this a little bit on the show already, uh, and we're going to keep talking about it because I think it's one thing that just intersects really well with what Motherboard has always covered. And for me personally, it's like I don't, I never thought I'd be in a situation where I'm like advocating for the surveillance state. And I don't think that I am advocating for the surveillance state, but it's become, it's becoming like increasingly clear to me that our options, like there are no good options here. The options are like stay at home for 18 months and like watch the economy die as well as like watch these just like super widespread bouts of mental health problems from like isolation or from people who are unable to see their families or friends or, or what have you. And not to or, mention the like 800 people a night dying in New York City. It's just like. Yeah, I mean that too. But it's like that that will slow down. It's already starting to slow down. Like that will slow down. But it's like what we're being told by public health experts is that if we go back to our regular lives, those numbers will spike up again. And so it's becoming increasingly clear to me that our choices are like stay at home for the foreseeable future, which could be more than a year, like until we have a vaccine or implement some sort of aggressive contact tracing uh, that looks very much like a surveillance state. Uh, and given the choice to like go to a bar and have the government and uh, Google and Apple know that I went to a bar or like stay at home, like I think I'm choosing the bar, um, which is, not something that I say lightly. I just think that it's a really, really upsetting situation. And and we're going to keep talking about this. We're going to keep doing more reporting on it. We're not sure like what is going to ultimately shake out here. But um, no, last week, Apple and Google announced a contact tracing API that they are going to put on iOS and Android phones. So basically the vast majority of all smartphones. And the system that they devised is pretty clever. And it's one that does at least nominally protect privacy. And it uses, instead of GPS, it uses Bluetooth beacons and like Bluetooth uh, connectivity. So basically the way that it works, and, and I'm oversimplifying here, is uh, your phone will be constantly pinging everyone else's phone. Uh, 
and it will then know which people you've been around based on the proximity of your phone to their phone. And you'll be given in like an anonymous identifier that is constantly cycling and changing so that in theory, there's some amount of anonymity here. And then what it's going to do is if you uh, test positive for coronavirus, you will scan a QR code or say that in an app somewhere. The app will be devised by public health officials or I don't know, maybe Apple and Google, I'm not sure. And then everyone that was that you were near on your phone will get an alert saying, hey, you were near someone who had coronavirus or has coronavirus, you should go get tested. Uh, hmm. And it's going to be opt-in in theory, but I think it only works if like basically everyone does it. And I don't know if this is like the system we're going to use, but it's a system that's being proposed. And so Joseph's story is about how Google plans to get this onto Android phones because uh, notoriously uh, Android doesn't get updates as often as iOS because of a bunch of like a fractured ecosystem in which different carriers uh, don't allow the updates to come through until like they put their bloatware on it. And then uh, like all the different manufacturers want to put their bloatware on it. And so ultimately you end up with like phones that don't get patched for months and months and months in the same way that or completely opposite from what Apple does, which is they're just able to push an iOS update and, and change everything. So that's an extremely long windup. But basically what Google is going to do is it's going to use something called uh, Android Play or Google Play Services which is how Google updates like Google Maps and Gmail and all these other services in the background without actually updating the uh, operating system of the phone or requiring anyone to download something. So basically they're going to like force patch this API into every Android phone, including ones they no longer technically support. So it's pretty clever. Uh, I mean, I don't know how this is all going to shake out. It's very early days. I, I really have no idea whether this is going to be widely adopted, but it is like it's it's a solution or it's a scenario that we could see ourselves under. Yes, which leads us to our next story, which is also another question of how I mean, this is something that I think is not getting enough scrutiny right now. It's a, a story from from Sam Cole about how security cameras are keeping track of social distancing in public spaces. And I know, I mean, to me, this, this kind of video surveillance and even just the use of AIs that are keeping, keeping an eye on facial recognition and this kind of stuff, I think it's going to boom after, after this is yeah, all over. I'm way more skeptical of this sort of thing uh, than I am of a like quasi anonymous, uh, you know, phone tracking system, which me too, me too. I, I'm also, I really am. I'm also like not super cool with the other one, but it's like to me the utility of like tracking public spaces to see if people are there or not. It's like it's not clear to me uh, why they're doing this or or why anyone would do this. Like I don't know what information can be gleaned from this other than like yeah, there are fewer people in Times Square or there are fewer people at the beach. Um, I, I just don't know like what the purpose is here except for things like over-policing or I, I just don't understand. So um, basically what's happening is an offshoot of uh, a research project at the University of Michigan 
Uh, it's basically, it's a startup out of the University of Michigan has put surveillance cameras in Times Square, uh, at the beach in Fort Lauderdale, uh, you know, at some, some places in LA and Chicago and London and Paris. And they are, like you said, filming them and using a, a computer vision algorithm to see whether people are keeping a safe distance from each other. I find to be highly creepy. I am not a huge fan of that. Yeah, not into it. And <laughs> uh, it's like, I mean, it's a like few the different... things that we've talked about before where it's like, you know, you have uh, all these like AI startups that are like, we can remotely detect someone's temperature and see if they have a fever and like all this stuff. And it's like, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, you're it, like, It cool? feels like a cash grab, you know? <laughs> yeah, but also just like, I think this is, I mean, I was talking to even just, intelligence people who said that facial recognition is going to be the biggest intelligence question of the next next few years and also you know this has the potential to really to really sort of what's the word for it uh be a catalyst for the usage of it or at least this crisis itself yeah that like that kind of that does worry me because you will see these sorts of like you know it's like we we talked about in the last week's episode it's like NSO Group, you know, this this company that just seems to pop up in all the wrong places, but they're, you know, entirely using this moment to expand their pretty questionable business. And like, how do you turn any of this stuff off? Like, it's it's very much like the questions surrounding, you know, Trailblazer project after 2001, after September 11th, and, you know, the use of, of like a mass surveillance system like that, that has not a lot of encryption to it. And it's just sort of sucking up tons of data. And people were doing it because, you know, we want to stop the terrorists. It's the same thing here with not only, you know, facial recognition, but also even, you know, the, the creepy phone tracking app. All this yeah. is just how do you it's like, uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises. How do you put the genie back in the bottle kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. we are going to have to turn this stuff off. If we turn it on and we don't turn it off, I think we are going to regret it in a big, big, big way. Um, I just don't think how do how does humanity shelve a powerful tool like that it's never shelved a weapon before it's never As shelved a, a weapon and, and we're definitely going to say yes to this surveillance because like when have we ever said uh we are not going to use this tool that could uh keep us safe you know like that's always sort of the the framing of it it's like we're doing this to keep people safe uh and that's that's how this stuff is rolled out and then that's how it's justified and then it, like you said it's impossible to put the genie back in the bottle so I don't know. Um, it, it's like, that, but then, you know, you know, you even else. say, but you, you know, even yourself and I, I'm not, by the way, this is not even a criticism. I'm, I'm with you. It's like, I would accept this just to go outside and like smoke a cigarette and have a coffee and watch people like gleefully walk down the street and interact with one another. I do anything for that, <laughs> which might, that's what I'm saying. In, it's like, include this, this like surveillance shit, you know, like, yeah, I mean, this is weighing on me. I mean, obviously, the thing that's weighing on me is like all these people are sick and dying and, and living a nightmare. But the thing that is like keeping me up at night is like the ways out of this are like not clear. And no. the ways out of this are going to require a ton of uh, like we're going to have to accept things that we would normally never accept. And it's just like it's really scary. It's, it's yeah. just there's not there's not a lot of good options here. I mean, like, think of it this way, Jason, you and I are sitting presently in what will become a post-war environment when we have seven to 800 people dying 
a night in New York City within what a 15 mile radius of us like yeah, I mean like I, what does I, that do to your society what will you accept afterwards to 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 rebuild it to make sure that this never happens again like there's yeah, so many questions it's like I've seen the trailers of dead people like outside of hospitals you know the, the yeah the 18 wheeler trucks uh and I biked by one last week and then I biked by the same place a few days later and there were two trucks you know it's like yeah it's, it's not good. It's not good. It's just heartbreaking. But, you know, this is yeah. the, so these are the sorts of questions we're going to be facing when it comes to surveillance and what we need to do to make it end. But yeah. anyway, well, let's go to one. Let's go to let's go to something that's just cool. OK, this is just cool. Cue the music. It's my favorite. Happy note. Alien hour. Alien hour. Here we are. I love this, except it's not MJ. MJ didn't throw this one at us. No, it's Tim. Tim McMillan. He's a McMillan. alien man. He's so, uh, less prolific, but he comes with scoops. This is a scoop. This is a scoop. I also just love any article that starts with a new document acquired by Motherboard. I just, I, I got to yeah. be honest with you. That gets my, uh, my journalism juices churning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the headline is, this is the Pentagon's real men in black investigation of Tom DeLonge's UFO videos. Uh, we have talked about Tom DeLonge's UFO videos a lot of times, but uh, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, in 2017, I believe, uh, Tom DeLonge's UFO outfit called, uh, God, I always forget the name. His book is called Secret Machines. Secret Machines, right. And and his, uh, God damn it. his organization is called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. Um which I, the reason I always forget is because in alien world, there are so many acronyms. Yes. So this There's is too known many. as, this is known as TTSA to the stars Academy. And That's this article is about a FOSI, A F O S I, which is the air force office of investigations. So this is basically like the air force's law enforcement, uh, group which is known as known in the UFO world as the real men in black because they do investigations into like UFOs and other real weird like aerial crimes. Um, which, by the way, we got shit last week from uh, from a listener because yeah, we said that we didn't think the government could cover up aliens. And he said that we are wrong. So, I mean, maybe the government can cover up aliens. We could I, be wrong. We could be wrong. We could and be wrong. We, uh, you know, we could be wrong. I still stick to I don't think the government is capable of it, but. I I'm I'm open to uh, to arguments. Yeah. So in 2017, To the Stars Academy released three videos: uh, one called "Go Fast," one called "Gimbal," and one called "FLIR." Um, and these were super shaky UFO videos filmed by the Navy, not the Air Force. Right. Uh, and these are like now the famous UFO videos where you have like these people flying planes, and they're like, "What the fuck is that? There are aliens here." Um, yeah, 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 that's those, those are the, those are the, the crazy videos. They're like, do you see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't like and those, so those, those that freaked me out. They're the ones that freaked me out and got me yeah. all onto this. Yeah. And so after the, these were released by a man named, uh, Luis Elizondo, who worked. Great name, uh, by the way. The, also yeah, a great he, name. He worked at the Pentagon and, uh, he released these to the New York times and through to the stars Academy. And he now works with Tom DeLonge at to the stars Academy. And for the last like two and a half years, the Pentagon has been more or less like slandering him saying that he didn't run a UFO program. Like they don't know what, like, what is he talking about? He's lying. 
So this document uh, by the AFOSI, the Air Force, uh, did an investigation into the release of these uh, these videos and found that uh, that Luis Elizondo released them. And it also said that he was focused on research issues, quote, on unidentified flying objects. So basically, the, this report verifies everything that Luis Elizondo has been saying. And the investigation that they did was into whether these uh, videos were released inappropriately. And it sort of came to some like non-committal answer being like, oh, yeah, well, they were supposed to be classified, but they weren't like super classified. And so... I don't know, we're just going to close the investigation. But this does show that A, the Air Force was interested in these videos and B, that Luis Elizondo has been telling the truth this whole time. So pretty cool story. Very cool story. And Luis Elizondo, legend. Vindicated legend. Vindicated legend. Love to have him on the show. Would love to have him on the show. We We got to call him up. Yeah. Him or Tom DeLonge. Maybe we should get Tom DeLonge. We, sh- we should get Tom DeLonge. We had Tom DeLonge on uh, an old episode of Radio Motherboard back in the day on our other podcast. So Let's get him uh, on Cyberman. Yeah, we should we do should. it. Let's yeah. make it happen. Cool. All right. Well, Jason, it's been great to talk to someone. As my always. only friend. <laughs> yeah. My throat is tired of talking, so let's stop. I need some okay. water. All right. Well, uh, okay. bye-bye. Farewell. This week's episode was produced by me, recorded by me, hosted by me, Ben Maku, and edited by the great Ricardo Contreras. You will be hearing from us next week, and everyone, please stay safe. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.